0: old book. A book about witchcraft.
1: You're listening to the Whitewood Podcast, a show about mystery schools, the occult, and witchcraft.
0: Would you like to have a look around?
1: Why have you come to Whitewood? Well, because I'm interested in witchcraft. I'm your host Nate. Come with us as we delve into the history, techniques, and backstories of these traditions and the people who practice them. Welcome back to the Whitewood Podcast. My name is Nate Driscoll. And uh, this week, we are taking a little bit of a diversion from doing, like, lessons and talking about, like, specific instructional or breaking down symbols, those kind of things. And instead, what we wanted to do was have an opportunity to talk to one of my friends and uh, really sit down and just, you know, talk about some of our experiences in the occult. And it's a really good time period for that for us because... We just spent a long weekend with some friends who some of us traveled, some of us still live in this area, but it was a great time to like we spent like a whole weekend just doing occult shit and uh you know connecting as a group too, just hanging out, having food, enjoying good- uh, conversations around and um so my voice is completely shot. it's completely gone at this point because we've just been spending so much time together, you know. And uh, right kind of at the conclusion of all that, here we are. So today, I've brought my friend on, Bodhi. Now, Bodhi, would you uh, introduce yourself? And, uh, yeah.
0: Sure, sure. Uh, my name is Bodhi. Um, I do use the pronouns they, them.
1: Cool, yeah.
0: <laughs> um, I've been practicing what I call non-mainstream um, you know, rituals and okay. uh, hold, held those spiritual uh, beliefs for 20 plus years. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah.
1: Yeah. And it, when you say non, what did you say? Non-traditional, Non-main, non-mainstream, non-mainstream. Yeah, okay. I, don't, I don't know so, if that's,
0: that's how I, I no, describe no, it.
1: Nothing yeah. wrong with that. So non-mainstream, what do you mean by that? Like what, what would you kind of consider the mainstream current versus like, what are you getting value out of?
0: I think what I consider mainstream it's it's something that if you were to um, say it like in a public place or to someone that might be a stranger, they'd be like, Oh yeah, I know that you know, so you have their your Abrahamic faiths. Okay, you so know? Like
1: Judaism, Christianity, in, Islam. Islam.
0: You yeah. know, and then you have other um big players, you know like you, Hinduism, for example. Yes, for okay, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so my path necessarily isn't Of those mainstream. Yeah,
1: definitely. Like, and um, so like one example that I use a lot when I'm trying to like kind of paint a picture is like if you were at just a standard suburban barbecue Mm -hmm. and you're just sitting around having a hot dog with some random suburbanite and you mention something, you're going to have one of a couple of reactions. And I like to gauge where we're at based on which reaction I expect (laughs) to come out, right? Right, right. So you got like like the things where it's like, you know, the super mainstream stuff. I say Hinduism, you have some mental image, you know exactly kind of what, you know, you might not know what it is because you haven't done it yourself, but like, you know what that is, right? right? So if I say meditation, they're like, oh yeah, I know what this person's talking about. Then you got the things where like, they're like a little bit like, they're socially acceptable, but they're also kind of considered to be a little little kooky. Like, uh, if you get really into like uh, your horoscope and yeah. you know astrology and those kind of things, like they'll know what you're talking about, and they're not going to be upset with you. But they are kind of going to be like, "Yeah, man, so and so's crazy aunt was really into that stuff. She was all right, you know." Right. Like, that's going <laughs> to be the reaction, you know. Yeah. But then you also have like you start to get into some of the topics where there's an aversion to it, right? Where it's like, well, what about tarot? You know, well, sure. Like probably 40% of people at that barbecue are going to be fine with you saying tarot. Maybe, maybe they're crazy, you know, and also experimented with that, you know, but like, there's also probably going to be one or two people at the barbecue that are offended. They're starting to be like, no, my preacher told me not to experiment with anything like that. And that that's demonic. So I'm going to have an aversion towards you now. And then there's that last category, right? Mm -hmm. Where it's like, I've never even heard of that. I have no idea. Like, what is the thing that you're saying right now? Is this some strange language? I've, you know, like, and um, so if we were using that scale, Mm -hmm. when you are describing the things that you're doing, how far through that scale do you feel like if you were just at a random suburban barbecue, Uh you start talking about your personal experiences? Where are you falling in that?
0: Oh, now see, I've learned to tailor. Mm-hmm. You know, th- <laughs> you know my conversation based on who I'm around. Yeah. Um, you know, like I have a tattoo on my arm. Okay. And it's uh, three Hebrew letters that are repeated. Mm-hmm. And so, like, anytime I have to get like a vaccine or you know anything like that, people will ask me, "What is that?" Now, if I were to go into the you know the deep dive into mm-hmm. it, they yeah. they. <laughs> They probably look at me cross eyed. <laughs> <laughs> but all, I simply say it's a meditation that I do that brings peace. Okay. And, there you go. and that's where I leave it. Yeah. Um, what it actually is is one of the 72 names of God that means as above, so below. Okay. And it's taken from. Um, Mystical Kabbalah or uh, practical Kabbalah, which is Kabbalah magic.
1: Right. So yeah. Kabbalah with a Q for anybody who, yeah. Yeah. Well, for
0: at... for me, I started with Kabbalah with a K. That's awesome. It's yeah. a good spot to start, <laughs> yeah. but it's dense material. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and that's yeah. one of the cool things about some of the people that like that me and you have uh-huh. like met at on some of our social circles mm-hmm. is like there's some people running around with like serious Kabbalah with a K kind of knowledge and right. blow your mind wide open with the intricacies and the, man, there's just so much depth to it. Because it's it's a practice that's been developed for thousands of years. Right, And if, so, so for listeners who don't know what we're talking uh-huh. about here, so there's there's the Kabbalistic Tree of Life. The Kabbalistic Tree of Life is often spelled different ways. And it's just, you know, if you were reading a book, depending on where you, you know, you go to Barnes & Noble, you'll pick up the five books on the shelf that have the word Kabbalah in them. Right. One of them would potentially be spelled with a Q, Kabbalah with a Q at the beginning. One is probably spelled with a K. And Mm -hmm. and depending on the bookstore, you might find one spelled with a C. And so there's a little bit of a distinguish. They're talking about very, very similar concepts. And it's all kind of stemming from a same like geometric shape and like the same like traditional origin but they've kind of like evolved into different things over the years. So like Kabbalah with a K is very much like dissecting Jewish scripture. It's like sitting down and like, you know, analyzing like, Hey, here's these specific lines and maybe the mathematical formula behind them. And this verse relates to that verse. And it's very much, uh, related to Judaism. Right. Right. Whereas like Kabbalah with a Q, that's where you start to see like hermeticism get introduced. It's Mm a, it's much more about like, kind of like the magical side of stuff when we're talking about like find, having a filing place for the elements or having like, I don't know, like if you look at like Alistair Crowley's work, for example,
0: mm-hmm.
1: he's going to spend a lot. He does, it's not that he never spends time talking about Kabbalah with a K, but he spends a lot of time talking about Kabbalah with a Q. Oh yeah. You know, so just to kind of give viewers uh, a little, and then the C, yeah, I don't see a lot. I've, no. I don't think I've ever actually ran into it if I wasn't out there looking for it. If I wasn't like typing into Google, like, I don't "Hey, think I've tell ever me more seen about it. this,"
0: I don't think I, I know it exists. I've just yeah, I've, just I've never run into it in the wild, sea. but I've yeah.
1: hunted it out. Yeah. And Kabbalah of the Sea is just the, the Christianized version of Kabbalah of the K. Right. It's just the you know those traditions are very close to each other; they're very similar. You know, one is the you know parent of the other, very historically, and so some of those ideas got passed into some of the New Testament as opposed to interpreting the Torah. So, right. very similar concept, but. Yeah. And I mean, that stuff's fascinating, Uh but incredibly dense. How do you get into that? How do you even start a process of that being something that doesn't just go in one ear and out the other? Because you have to like have some understanding to like get what the hell they're saying, but like it's also dense material, right?
0: Well, it was a really interesting journey into it. Mm -hmm. Uh, I grew up in a very conservative Christian home. Mm -hmm. And. I memorized a lot of scripture. We were required to uh, memorize scripture. And so even now, a lot of that, you know, I still remember and I still I still have. Um, but I never really fit into the Christian community. You know, I was a little too curious. I never just accepted things by faith. Um and so that got me into a lot of trouble, which even uh further, you know, uh wedged that divide so I, you know, wouldn't um so I didn't really feel like I belonged. So once I, I left home, once I, you know, turned, you know, after eighteen and left home, I actually moved quite a bit um well, I, I moved to the coast. I grew up in, in um uh middle America and mm-hmm. then I moved yeah. to the coast. And once I was here you know, I, I could explore any church I wanted. I I had this freedom and I stayed in the Christian church, but I experienced other, if I can call them flavors, their denominations. Yeah. But I like, was that flavors. freedom
1: because you <clears throat> were like distanced from the place of your origin? Yes. And there wasn't as much like family pressure and like people that you knew and those kind of thing? Or was it, or, or like, is another component of that like you come to a different area and now like different communities have a richer, more vibrant variety of, you know, religious groups that are out there? Was, was it like a population thing or?
0: Well, part of it was, um, the Christian church that I grew up in, uh, they didn't belong to any larger organization. Mm -hmm. And so to actually leave the church, that particular church, um, it was bad. Um, I remember a friend once going to the pastor and saying, you know, I really want to attend this church over here. You know, I just want to let you know there's no hard feelings. And what they were told next was almost horrific. You know, well, you're going to see your kids stray from Christ. You're going to fall away from Christ. I mean, just because they didn't go to that particular church. And so, you know, there was that pressure of when I was there and growing up in that, of this was going to be my my religious home for as long as I lived there, basically. Right. So once I moved here, um, yes, there were more options, but also there was that freedom to explore where I didn't have someone telling me, you know, you're going to, this is going to happen to your life or you're going to yeah. be on a... Well,
1: there's a certain liberty <laughs> of getting out and having mm-hmm. your own space yeah. and not having, you know, individuals who are going to judge you and try to control yeah. how you go about your daily life, yeah. uh, not immediately around. Right. For me, like, I currently live very close to my family. I, I also grew up in a very religious household, also Christian. Mm-hmm. And um, they live two blocks away. You know, they. it's funny because over the years I've definitely hopped around a lot. But then when I had kids, there was a very serious um, safety net of having the grandparents around the corner, you know, and, uh, it didn't happen like that. It wasn't like we like decided to be right there, but we kind of organically found ourselves a couple blocks away and we were like, you know Mm -hmm. what, like this is working really well. And it helps a lot to have the grandparents there, but, um, but to have your own space, to have your own Liberty, to be able to get away from the peering eyes of, uh, people who would judge or I don't know, I mean, sometimes hateful words, you know. And I had a really similar experience when it came to disengaging, disconnecting from the religious preference of my parents, where um, their community tends to tends to very, very literally teach people that there's the church, and then there's the rest of the world, and the mm-hmm. rest of the world is bad. This is the only oasis of happiness that right. exists. Everything else is dangerous, sinful, and consumed by the devil and leaving means you're going to experience pain and torment and sin and you know, hellfire like there's going to be like punishment for it and staying means that you get to continue speaking to all your friends and all those kind of things. But some of that fear system created this like synthetic environment of, of a community where if you did start to ask questions and disengage from it, everyone kind of closed the door on you and then you didn't have any friends because you only knew people that were in the church, because right. you were raised believing that everybody was bad, you know, right? Yeah.
0: And <clears throat> so once I moved here, mm-hmm. I did try a different Christian church. It was a um, non-denominational Pentecostal church, mm-hmm. and that was very different from what you know I I grew up in. And it caught my attention. I mean, there was still the fact that I was asking too many questions, and you know, they told me that I had a problem with my faith. But um, it introduced this mystical aspect to religion that I really hmm. hadn't experienced before. Um, you know, they, they had faith healers. There was a history of faith healing. You know, so I got to read these biographies of, of these uh, people who came before the predecessors. And, and, and so it kind of, it really opened up my mind of, oh, what else is out there? Right. This this what am I feeling here? What's this mystical thing? And and then from there, believe it or not, I found myself in a messianic church. Are messianic
1: you... isn't like masonry, is that what messianic? No, is messianic or No, messianic is. Um, I'm not familiar with it. It's
0: it's um, basically uh, Jewish people who have become Christians. Oh, okay, yeah. And so they they believe that Jesus is the Messiah. But they also keep a hold of a lot of their Jewish tradition. Sure, sure. And that is where I was first introduced to Kabbalah. Hmm. And I... That makes a lot of sense that (laughs) you start with Kabbalah with a K. There you go. That makes a lot of sense. So that was my little road to Kabbalah. And once I started reading, especially Sefer Yetzirah, yeah, uh, the Zohar, you know, all these texts. Even though I was told not to, because right. you know um, you had to be a married man over forty, and well, yeah. I kind of just kind of ignored that. It's treated very differently. <clears throat> is like mm-hmm. when you're
1: talking about Kabbalah to K, I talking about the Jewish community, um, the there's a lot of stigma around individuals who are going to study the Kabbalah mm-hmm. that you're expected to be married, own your home be established in your, in your affairs, your business, those types of things. Right. And to be over a specific age, because you know, there's this, there's this idea that studying it is going to disrupt a lot of things or be overwhelming in a way where you might not be able to still get to that place of, uh, you know, safety and resilience that is, you know, entering your retirement kind of, kind of an idea, you know? Right. And, uh, in Kabbalah with a Q. uh, we uh, we don't necessarily not believe that Kabbalah can uh, be disruptive, mm-hmm. but we also don't put up the barrier of stopping people from getting into it early right. on. You know, right. like people very much experiment with it as early as like they decide that they
0: want to. Right. Yeah. 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 So that that started my path, and then I um, I was studying the Sefer Yetzirah, And then at the same time I picked up a practice, um, a meditative practice from um a thirteenth century Jewish rabbi. Okay. Uh ostracizes community at the time. His name is uh Avraham Abilafia. Okay. And it's a very specific meditative technique. And so I uh started with that and just Basically, it just grew from there. So I had the text, I had this meditation, and I was off on my own path. You know, soon I left any kind of anything that looked like an institution and and started walking my own own path. And
1: that's a terrifying feeling.
0: Especially when you grow up the way you do. And if you're still holding on to beliefs that... Uh, there's only one way to heaven and everything right. else leads to hell. Yeah, and now absolutely. Now you're trying to tread
1: your own path, therefore you're yes. off of all of the paths. Exactly. Yeah, that's <laughs> terrifying. No, I felt a lot of that myself, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I had a different way of coming around to it. You had a much more structured way where, you know, as you're kind of transitioning through these phases, you're starting in one uh, like like you were saying mainstream religious space. Right. And then you're moving into another that's still pretty mainstream religious space, mm-hmm. and then you're moving into another, and you're picking up little keys as you go, <laughs> right. and then eventually you're like, "Fucking, I'm gonna fly," you know? Exactly. <laughs> right. Whereas, like, mine was very much like, for in a lot of ways, I was only aware that two things existed. I was aware that my parents' church existed, mm-hmm. and that the world that was consumed by the devil existed. You know, there was like right. that was the only two things in my mind was there's like, because that's all I'd ever been taught. I'd never. Like met a lot of people that were of other faiths you know yeah. and uh, I mean we lived in an area where I remember the only person that lived in our neighborhood that was not a member of my parents church you wow. know and uh, it was for me hey now that you don't uh, think that this thing is true anymore there's only one other thing that exists and it has to be this other stuff so let's go check out witchcraft because like we were warned about these guys right. but the people who warned me don't seem to like accept me into their fold so I must be one of the witchcraft guys <laughs> and then like, you know, as you do, finding a lot of really I don't know surface level stuff, really fluffy stuff, a lot of stuff that really didn't have a lot of depth to it and kind of like wading through that for a long period of time, switching from you know one version of occultism to another until I was like, oh wait, this is like a bigger system that, is this whole huge ecosystem of things. And I luckily found my place in that, you know? But it was a hell of a journey, you oh, yeah. know? Oh,
0: yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So you head off on your own. Uh huh. You're like, it's time. I have right. this technique that is clearly doing something. Like, what What Absolutely. were you getting out of the technique? Absolutely. Like, was there some kind of effect?
0: Yes. And it's inter- interesting because at the time... I didn't have anybody that I could ask questions to. Um I I soon it was about what 2008 I think when I finally had someone in my life that I could ask questions to, you know, about the things that I was experiencing. But looking back on it, and things that I know now about asana, pranayama, all these type of things, this meditative technique that I was using by Lafia. right? Um, it taught me visualization. It taught me how to breathe, how positions and sitting, um, pretty complex visualizations. You know, you start with you know Hebrew letters, uh, then you. You know, different backgrounds with the Hebrew letters, Hebrew letters changing into other Hebrew letters, and then you start with the permutation. So it's this whole system of, um, things that people, uh, that I was learning through this meditative technique that people get through, like, asana and pranayama. Yeah, and absolutely. Yeah, so, uh, that was interesting to, uh, discover later on, um. A lot of it was um, personal growth. I saw a lot of personal growth. And then also the connection with what I now call the divine that i never had in any other religious organization or religious experience. And I actually kept quiet. I I call my practice isolated for 20 years Mm -hmm. um, up until... 2019, when you know I changed my path just a little bit, yeah. Um, no, I was isolated in my path, nobody really knew what I was doing. Um, I, uh, if anybody asks, Well, what's your religious beliefs? I'm like, Well, I do a lot of meditation, <laughs> yeah, and that's, one <laughs> that's way to what I do, with people, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: <clears throat> I like, I like a couple of things that you said, um, you kind of tied in this concept of the the East and the West practicing something that was similar, mm-hmm. getting something similar out of it. You have these two very distinct cultures, one that's, you know, investigating the the Indian practice of meditation, and they're getting things like pranayama and asiana and those kinds of things out of right, it, yeah. right? And then you're, you have this other culture, the Hebrew culture. It, he came from a Hebrew culture, is that right? Yes. Yeah, yes. okay, so uh-huh. you have this Hebrew culture, which... Uh, is more like Middle Eastern, you mm-hmm. know, evolving out this very similar thing, putting their own spin on it, you know, like it makes sense that they're using the symbols that they really associate with right. and coming to similar conclusions, having similar experiences. To me, that's the beauty of doing this is that like it, it kind of starts to break down the walls in between the separate distinct religions. Mm-hmm. and You start to just have these experiences with experience itself. Right. And you, you, one of the analogies that I've used a couple of times in the show is like this idea that like the occult gives you a passport and it's like, well, you know, you have a home nation, but like if you want to travel around a bit, see France for a bit, like it's, it's pretty cool. They're doing some cool stuff over there, you know? Right. And, and that's been a really, really powerful thing. But the, another thing that really comes to mind with what you were saying is you Your experience with like opening the door to these practices Mm -hmm. was really in the midst of what most people would consider to be mainstream religion. Mm -hmm. You didn't, (laughs) you didn't throw aside Christianity, like hail the devil and be given spells and fucking, (laughs) you know, like a virgin to sacrifice or anything. (laughs) Like yours was very much like this transition of like, right. Well, what is what is this one church doing, this one church? Oh, this is an interesting technique, and then kind of going off. That's fascinating, right? I,
0: I actually call it my spiritual buffet. Your spiritual <laughs> buffet. That's a good term. I love it. You know, because you know, it's, it's what speaks to me. It's yeah. what... Um, I, I wouldn't necessarily call... Or, I wouldn't necessarily say I reach out and grab things that I think are fun. Okay. But it's that curiosity factor. I mean, that's what's driven me ever since I can remember, even as a tiny child, is, you know, being curious about things and where is my curiosity being fed? And then, like I said, once I experienced that mystical aspect of spirituality in the Pentecostal church, I'm like, this isn't quite my thing, but this is interesting. This is new. This is what I like. What this is doing inside, and i i even today i can 't really describe it, but it it was a difference how I grew up it it was almost like how I grew up was dry and forced, and um I was basically told to do it right and then when I got into this other situation, I was still being told you know what to do and what not to do, how to act, you know things like that, but then there was this Almost freedom to experience this next level or this unseen part of spirituality, which is right. what I think I had always been searching for, even as, you know as a teenager and a young adult. So, and I also like that
1: you tied in that concept where you were like, lately I've been calling it the divine because I was coming to mm-hmm. a lot of the same conclusions myself. Still, in, where it's I can't come up with any other word that fits it better. But I also think it has its like lack, it, it lacks some yes. some quality because there's yeah. like something almost a little cooler than just that word that's going on, you know, right. but like, I, I think that it is. I think that it, a lot of these kinds of techniques and practices and the, the, the evolutionary journey that you undergo as you, you know, transition through these kind of things that, uh, you are kind of connecting with the divine in a way. And, I the more that I try to place that divine within a box and define it, the more it breaks out of that box and shows me humility. Because, (laughs) you know, like I'll, I'll be like, oh, well, I can define it as like this one pantheon. Or, really, let's go smaller. I can define it as this one particular church, the fuck you can. And then it's like, you know, well, I can define it as this one God. I don't know that you can, bud. And then you're like, well, what about this one Pantheon? It might be more complex than you think, bud. And like right. it just keeps expanding outside right. of those boxes that I, you know, have been experimenting with. But it always, to me, comes back to this, this sense of, you know, the technique, the practice, the symbols themselves, mm-hmm. the building up a, a relationship with those types of things long-term over periods. And eventually you kind of do come around to the idea that it might be mm-hmm. the divine. And, and some people are really sold on that idea. You know, right. I, I definitely am coming around to it.
0: I, I think it falls short. And yeah. one of the things that I do say often is that, um, I will sit and do a practice. Um, we can talk about this in a few minutes if you would like, but, if I if I reach out, like you know, in my mind or whatever, if I reach out and something reaches back, mm-hmm. and that reaching back creates a particular state or feeling or or insight, then I'll probably stay with it. <laughs> right. You know, that's that's that connection is what I look for in any practice that I do, and my practice has evolved, you know, since since then, and it's included other things, but that is the main thing that I look at, is when I reach out, when I reach up, when I reach to the side, I don't want to think that, you know, make everybody think that the divine is up, you know, it no, could be absolutely. around or down. Or in. Or in, yeah, yes, or absolutely. in, I believe that yeah. one too, but when you reach out to it, it reaches back. In a very almost tangible way.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I when I first started experimenting with the occult in general, it was it was a really weird phase of my life because I am one of those really experimentative people. I'm a very curious person. I want to take things apart, put them back together, and understand why it does the thing it does. You know, and uh, I kind of came from it in a weird place where I was in this very deep period of of um, atheism.
0: Oh, and it's weird yeah.
1: to be atheistic because you're like, well, I have all this proof that there is not God, but right. then to also be like experimenting with magic and being like, well, I don't have enough proof that magic's not real, but I do have enough proof that God's not real, you know, right. like, it's kind of this weird like catch 22 right. that I was in. And it it was funny cuz like over years and years and years of experimenting with it, eventually I had to come around to this idea that like I, I mean, I'm feeling a connection to something it's out there and it seems to be reaching back and there's effects yeah. and it doesn't seem to be lacking a design it's one thing to say i ate i drank motor oil and there was an effect <laughs> i've got sick and yeah. I threw up, or sure. i you know i drank alcohol it did something to my system there was an effect it's one thing to say i reached out to something mm-hmm. and there was change it's mm-hmm. a whole nother thing to say i reached out to something and there seems to be design with coming from the other end of the connection mm-hmm. there seems to be some form of like Some intelligent system that is, you know, causing some kind of effect. For me, it's been very positive. I know a lot of people, you know, they go their own way, but.
0: And and also, I don't want to belittle the fact that, you know, in these practices, too, especially when you reach out and you find that place, that's why I call it, too, that place. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Change happens in your life. Mm -hmm. You know, things fall away that don't need to be there. Uh, You. You grow and you change personally. You know your emotions, your intellect, the relationships you have around you. Um, so I think that it encompasses all that. It's not just sitting there in this gushy feeling all the time. You know, not to say that it that doesn't happen, but it's also like you said, the cause it's and hard effect. Work. Yeah, yeah, it's hard. It's work. hard
1: work a lot. Yeah. But you know, <clears throat> I I think about it a lot where. If I were to take the language that I've learned to use about the experience, right? Mm -hmm. If I were to take, like, the word magic out of it and the word occult out of it and the word witchcraft out of it and, like, just took all the words out Mm -hmm. and didn't have any to describe them. And then we sat down with somebody that's having some other religious experience, whether, like, let's say a, a Hindu individual is, you know, having their own personal experiences. And they had to also take their language out. And we had to right. like come together and communicate what's happening to us. Yeah, I feel like we'd be a lot more in agreeance than in disagreement, because like I, I really think that you know there's there's something genuine to this to this process that is life. That is this, you know, it's it's not all rainbows and sunshine. Oh. They're there though, and they're yes. beautiful to appreciate, <laughs> you know. But like a lot of it's personal development, working on myself because. I'm a train wreck of a human being. Right. I'm less of a train wreck <laughs> than I was, you know, 10 years ago, but you know, little right. progresses, right. but it, it kind of, I think it goes to show in a lot of ways why people promote and, uh, really like, I don't want to say tooth their own horn, but like why people promote and do missionary efforts for their particular, uh, religious belief is because they're getting stuff out of it. Mm-hmm. It's doing something positive, And then they're going like, man, I hope other people get something positive out of whatever the fuck they're doing. And uh, the one thing that I think that turns into a lot, unfortunately, uh, and I don't see that as much in the occult, but in a lot of the mainstream stuff, is if I'm getting something out of this system, this practice, this scripture, this mantra, this you know meditative state or whatever, then anybody doing anything that doesn't include this must be bad mistaken or outright dangerous right and that to me is destructive because it's like well you know whatever works right you know like whatever's gonna build you up and make you a better person and challenge you and you know like you don't you don't get you don't get in better shape by not lifting the weights or doing the cardio but at the same time like being in better shape improves your life, and then there is more time to enjoy because you're less tired. Right, you know, kind of comes right. from that for me.
0: Right. You hit on a concept that um, because something is different, it's less than. Yeah, which is really interesting, especially, and we can see that throughout a lot All of, of life. Things. Yeah, and, yeah, you know. I remember once going home to visit my family after living in the Pacific Northwest and I bought a salmon and I prepared it, you know, I baked it and I put it on the table with all these sides and they all stared at it. Mm-hmm. I'm like, are you going to eat it? No. Well, why? It has its skin on. <laughs> you know, the, right, right. I, did, I didn't, you know, take it off because, you know, that's just how you, that's, that's how I cook it. That's how a lot of people cook it. Yeah, it's delicious. And because it was different it was considered it's inferior it's less it's not going to taste as good it's not when when you know they had never had it and and so um i think part of that's one of the reasons why i'm so eclectic in my practice is because i i've just adopted this thing just because it looks different doesn't mean it's inferior you know there's tests and things to to try out but you know don't just throw it out because it's
1: different well and i like the recipe analogy like the way of like saying like well i didn't take the skin off but the skin is crispy, and that's part of the way that some yeah. people prepare it. And I kind of like it like that, you know. That doesn't make it bad. No. But this idea that everything is inferior if it is different, mm-hmm. it permeates all of our society. I can't. Yeah. I mean, I yeah. think of the one big issue that you're thinking of right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everyone listening is having a different experience. Think of a different one, but it's all valid for all of it. If it's right. different, it's inferior, you know. But I think there's something to be said about like going about it in a different way to to judge the dish the salmon in relation to itself as opposed to in relation to the other way that you've had salmon prepared yeah it's not the same recipe but can it be delicious in its own merit in its own experience you know Mm -hmm. like is it not a valid way to feast to to eat (laughs) like is it not you know a delicious fish dinner you know right so there's definitely something to be said about it it's hilarious that we said that i just had fish dinner tonight
0: I was oh, Yeah, was <laughs> so good so good oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah cool good
1: well one thing that we considered talking about for this particular episode mm-hmm. i think it's a really really interesting topic is when it comes to introducing spiritual ideas to children mhm because uh we're both parents right Mm-hmm. We're both parents of kids that are the same age. Yes, they are, and identify <laughs> as the same gender. Uh-huh. So we're in incredibly similar situations, right. right? We're also both occultists. Would you self-identify mm-hmm. as an occultist, or do you like an? Oh word? no, do I, I like
0: identify it? as occultist. occultist. Okay, yes, cool. Yes. I
1: just wanted to make sure I wasn't putting a label on you. Yeah. If you, I haven't spilled
0: all of my practices, but yes, <laughs> yeah, 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 yes, yeah. Yeah. I am an occultist. Yeah,
1: for me, I, that's. It's, <laughs> Uh, one of the best descriptor words there's mm-hmm. that's the one that most people are going to be like, Oh, I know what you're talking about. You know, if, right. there's some other descriptor words for me where you'd be like, okay, I'm going to say this word. I'm a Thelemite. And now I have to explain <laughs> to you for 20 minutes what that means, you know? Right. like So let's get ready for this conversation that I, right. you know, had to prompt, you know, but <laughs> we were talking about how, uh, me and you have taken a, a kind of drastically different, um, directions as far as introducing kids to spiritual concepts. Mm-hmm. Um, you are obviously, based on a story that you told, which is what kind of like spawned this, you know, this curiosity of mine. Uh, you're obviously exposing them a little bit more to it because mm-hmm. you were telling this story about one of your kids, like, you know, doing some kind of spiritual practice, getting something out of it, and like, hey, look, I did the thing, right? you know? Right. And then for me, I, I really kind of... I, not in a, not in a hide or shame kind of way, I Mm -hmm. tend to recluse away from that and to like, Mm -hmm. I do my spiritual practices every single day, but I, I do them in the back bedroom with the door closed. Right. And it's not like if the kid ever hit the age where he started to be like, dad, why are you doing that? That I wouldn't answer the questions. But, um, for me, I've kind of like steered it into the other room. And I've got reasons for that. And some of them are my own trauma and my own weakness and my own experience with like uh, having some spiritual thing really forced on me by my parents and not wanting to pass that on to the next generation, that like trauma that I felt. But some of it's probably some of my own personal weakness, just like the fear of judgment in a way, even though it's your kids and they think you're a superhero no matter what you do. You know, like some of that is probably for me. But you've ch- chosen to go this other way. Right. Why? What, what was the what was the motivation? And what has been the effect? What's the outcome of that?
0: Um. Basically, let's let's establish one thing real quick. Um, I also am a Thelemite. Yeah. Um, my path has um progressed beyond the Kabbalah meditation to uh ritual, and um, I consider myself a devotee of Sekhmet. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, from there, um, I, uh, embraced the Lema in 2019 and that's, uh, been, I call it the umbrella, the umbrella principle, yeah. you know, uh, it still allows me to do the practices I've been doing, change them, modify them, you know, according to new things that I learned. But, um, up until 2019, I was very isolated. In my practice no one knew what I was doing except for one person that I would call and say hey am I completely crazy with this and, right you know they would steer me or say nah keep doing what you're doing and so my children <clears throat> when I um, became a Thalamite uh, were young um, trying to remember I'll just um, one was six and the other was two sure. yeah and Um, At the time, I had decided to stay home uh, from work with our kids. And I kind of found it hard uh, to practice some of the things with small children. And so I had the choice of do I do these anyway or do I just not do them until, you know, other parent is home and can watch. And so I started investigating what it was that I wanted to do while they are around. And one was the LBRP. Oh, yeah. And there's nothing really, there's nothing that so, is.
1: So that it's here in the same episode. Um, LBRP are the initials of Lesser Banishing Ritual of the Pentagram. Mm-hmm. It's a ceremonial uh, ritual that, the origins are a little bit murky, most people. Mm-hmm. The academic belief is probably that Samuel Mathers wrote it. It was one of the individuals in the Golden Dawn, one of the founders of the Golden mm-hmm. Dawn. And it is a very, very common ritual to have permeated through most of society when it comes to the occult stuff. Very, very common one. Right. Uh, lesser banishing ritual of the pentagram or... Sometimes LRP, lesser ritual of the pentagram, we're talking Mm -hmm. about the same thing. But Mm -hmm. I wanted to make sure just in case somebody was listening and heard initials and now they're like, wait, what are those (laughs) initials? We touched on it. But yeah, keep going.
0: And then the second uh, uh, ritual or um, practice that I was doing was Libra Resh, which is a sun adoration that is done four times a day. And when I looked at both those practices, I asked myself, how will these harm my children if they hmm. see them?
1: Okay. Yeah. How will
0: these harm my children if they practice them with me? And I talked to a couple of other people who had grown children, who had done you know, types of magic like this um, around their children. and um after considering it for a while, um I decided, yeah, it's okay. It's okay for me to step outside. They can be, you know, right there playing in the backyard while I'm doing Libra Reich, You know, while I'm doing the LBRP, um, I can leave the bedroom door open. If they want to wander in, they can. If they don't, they don't want to. And what I found was um, they were curious. I saw a curiosity. What's What's mama doing? Right. What's mama doing? Right. And so they would watch. And then they would stand with me. And then I noticed <laughs> my my older son would go and get either a chopstick or a butter knife and do like the Kabbalistic cross with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And at one point, he goes, Mama, I don't want to draw stars anymore, mm-hmm. you know, for the LBRP. I say, okay, that's fine. You know, this is this is your process. It's okay. Yeah. And I, he goes, oh no, I want to draw, but I'm going to draw flowers instead. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, we'll play with that, and tell me how how you feel about that. So, <clears throat> some may say that oh, you're, you know forcing your religion on your children or your I- ideology right. on your children, when in fact, they've come into it out of their own curiosity of watching me do things, and. Now I'm watching them do their own thing, modify these things, you know, let their curiosity lead them. Um, I have several altars around the house. One is of course the Sekhmet. That's my biggest one. And then, um, I have, um, Gayatri and then the green Tara. And, Recently, uh, my older son came to me and said, Mom, I want an altar, too, for my special things. So he understands that those are my special things, that I pay a sort of respect uh, to these altars, and he wants one. But he has decided he's going to put on there his special things. And so I think... And what is
1: special to a child?
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, so far, we went on a nature walk that he loved. He picked something up and he goes, I'm putting this on my altar to remind me of this walk. There you go. And he did that. And that's absolutely (laughs) on
1: point. You know, like, okay, you're queuing into these specific things and it's something you hold of import, something you want to treasure. You know, like that's awesome. They're getting some of the basics. You know, obviously, when you start getting into like our level of stuff, we start getting really fucking mm-hmm. weird and putting like right. you know all sorts of different layers of symbols on symbols on symbols into right. things and put and a lot that, of depth into it. But
0: that I would never do. For one, they're children. Yeah. Two, especially my five-year-old, he doesn't have the intellectual cap- capability to make these decisions yet. Right. You know, um, his brain is still developing, so um, I'm not going to hide, you know, the what I call benign things. Right. You know, the other things that I do, especially the Sekhmet ritual or some of the things I do as a Thelemite, those are my own practices for, you know, for me only. Right. And and that's fine. But what I do want to give them is that ability and that freedom to be curious, to try things out. Cause I honestly believe that's what Crowley did When he wrote his rituals, right? You know, we're not children, but he knew that we needed to start somewhere, and then let our curiosity take us different places.
1: Well, and I think there's something very genuine about taking approaching specifically ritual. From a place of curiosity instead of a place of caution. Because I think that one of the things that happens, especially when people first get started, is they go out into the world, they hear how dangerous all of it is. They're like, Mm -hmm. oh, you got to do it exactly right. Don't mispronounce this word or you'll be consumed by fire. You know, like there's this like Hollywoodization of like the danger of it, right? And so I'll often hear people, especially like online, where you have like some of those. Those want to be experts running around trying to tell everybody how it out. This is how it, well, actually this is how it is. You right, know? Right. And, um, one of the things that has kind of struck me that I keep hearing is like, don't, don't experiment with it all at all. But like one of the things that has been incredibly beneficial for me is experimenting with it. Sometimes doing it the wrong way just to see what the right way is for me. You know, right, sometimes right. totally adapting something into a flavor that I want to work with. You know, it depends on what it is. So like, Uh, for example, LBRP, that's Mm -hmm. a perfect example of one where I started doing it wrong on purpose. So I was like, well, they tell you to go this way around the circle. I'm going to go the other way around the circle. See what happens. Did that for a couple of months. You know, I was like, this is not fucking, it's not flowing right. Right. Started going back the right way. Oh, this, this works great. Okay. I'm going to do it this way from now on, you know, or they say to do your invocations in the morning, your banishings at night. Mm -hmm. Right. And so you know if you were doing this like a like a daily practice you don't have to a lot of people do it just like just before something special but if you were going to do a daily practice of doing it twice a day they generally suggest wake up do invocations and then when you're about to go to bed do your banishing right mm-hmm. and so i was like fuck it i'm going to do the banishing first thing in the morning, the invocation. And I, and uh-huh. I kept finding, like, I was grogging and terrible all day. And then as soon as I got into bed, I couldn't sleep all night. And, like, <laughs> everything was all out of whack and my yeah. energy got all, you know, weird. And so yeah. it gave me an appreciation for why, why we do it the way that we do it, you know, because I mm-hmm. broke it in order to figure out how to put it back together, you know. Right. Or Resh, you, you brought up Resh. And one of the things that I've been doing for, I'd say I'm probably at, like, month four, maybe month five. Mm -hmm. is I've been really curious on taking my ritual practice from one flavor into another flavor. Mm -hmm. And so I worked really, really heavily with a lot of Egyptian stuff, but then I started to kind of like cue into some of these Greek concepts. And I was like, okay, well I want to kind of play around with Greek stuff. And so, um, it's easy to do that with LBRP. There's Mm -hmm. a set of instructions on how to change its flavor, but there's not for rash. And so I sat down over the course of, you know, a couple of weeks and I, uh, I wrote a Greek version of Rush. So instead oh, of like nice. hailing Ra and hailing, you know, Thor and those kind of things, you know, mm-hmm. you're hailing Helios. Yeah. And like, what does that change in the ritual? Well, first yeah. off, you know, Helios doesn't ride in a, in a bark in a boat. Helios rides in a chariot. So now that's changed kind of like <laughs> where the other characters within it are standing. So now, you know, you kind of have to like, well, what is the purpose of someone standing at the front of the boat instead of the back of the boat? Right. Because like one of the things about you know, Rash is, you know, there's a specific character before you and behind you because mm-hmm. they're doing different jobs on the boat. Right. And so, like, you know, one of the things that I did was, you know, incorporate this concept into, like, well, if they're, if they're in a chariot, mm-hmm. you know, and in the in the other version, the Egyptian version, you know, they're doing, like, like it's Thoth, so it's a very specific god. Well, there's kind of a Greek Thoth. There's, mm-hmm. like, Hermes. Like, oh, yeah. I, I could take Hermes and plug him into that kind of a spot. <laughs> And so, so it ended up being something that I like really experimented with. And I've, I've, it's been a very interesting experience for sure to see the validity of experimentation and curiosity when right. it comes to ritual, you know, one thing that I think is really valuable about what you're saying right now is that you're encouraging these children to maintain that curiosity mm-hmm. and you, you're, you know, you're, uh, I don't want to say green lighting or giving permission but in like some way you're 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 sending a subtle message that when it comes to your life when it comes to your spirituality when it comes to those things it's okay for you to be curious yes and it's okay for you to change things up to see why yes you know
0: right because <clears throat> it's interesting because my younger son has you know lost interest in you know like uh, the lBRP sure and yep. the in liberation which is fine it's absolutely fine and a couple of months ago though because I also do a couple of Tibetan uh, Buddhist practices uh, he said mom I want beads like yours I want to sit and say those things with you and so I you know I never forced it on him I've never you know, offered him any kind of reward or punishment if he did or did not do that but he's curious as to what I'm doing and so yes, we celebrate Christmas. <laughs> yeah, we do. Too. Yeah, totally. We totally do. Yeah. We're opportunistic, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but you know, I'm going to put a little strand of uh mala beads, you know, in his stocking. There you go. You know, um, yeah, I'm going to make the mala myself and, you know, and so then after after that we'll be able to sit and uh, I can teach him you know, Actually, probably. I know
1: how good you are at making those beads because you gave me one one time, yeah, and I, I love it. I made those but rosaries. All the time. Yes. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. yeah. So,
0: so you know, I, I, my main purpose is not to have my children, um, their spiritual beliefs, to look like mine. I don't want a carbon copy
1: of no, a child. I, I want to liberate my child's life. Yes. If that yes. means that they choose a different path from me. That's liberation. That's fine. Yeah. But I just, and that's the thing that, that, that I struggle with a lot because Mm -hmm. like I did come from a really toxic home when it comes, when it came to religion, you know, there were parts that were in balance of of my childhood, but religion was most definitely not one of them, you know? Mm -hmm. And I don't want to like force my child to be me because they've tried to force me to be, and it caused a lot of pain still into my adulthood, you Mm -hmm. know? But I think you're right. there's something about the way that you're describing going about it that seems in balance. It seems mm-hmm. like uh i could I could get behind kind of what you're suggesting, yeah, that you're doing, you know, yeah, yeah, that's fascinating, yeah so all right, so you've done uh you you've eventually found yourself in in Thelema, Mm -hmm. You had that launching off point of, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of embarking into the nothingness with only this one, you know, technique that was giving you value. Where were some of the stops that you went along the way? And like, what did that look like?
0: Oh, um, so I had been doing, um, the Kabbalah meditative practice, those, uh, practices for, I'm trying to think real quick. So that was 11, 12, 13 years. <clears throat> and then I had a friend who was opening her own incense business, and I was trying to support her. And I usually got one of two incenses, but when I went to the um, occult bookstore <laughs> to to buy another thing of incense, I noticed she had another one. mm mm-hmm. And that was the second incense. And I'm like So was
1: was it you were seeking out incense because you um, were like using it in a meditative kind of concept? Were you like burning it for the, for yeah. the meditative space? Right. Meditative space?
0: So I was doing this meditation and it was all visualization, mm-hmm. posture, movement, different things like that. And when the friend opened the business, I thought, Well, what would it be like if I added incense? Right. And I liked it. And so as I needed it, I would go, and um, her particular brand of incense I loved. And um, and I found one. I'm like, well, who's Sekhmet? And I turned it over, and I'm like, well, I have no idea what a powerful Egyptian warrior goddess has to do with this Jewish Kabbalah technique that I'm using. Right. But oh, well, let's try it and see what happens. I mean, I'm curious. I'm going to try it. Yeah. And when I tried it, I had one of the most profound experiences um I call it a death and rebirth and from that first experience on um I just started writing ritual to segment, yeah, developing this practice you know for segment and um and then from there, that's when i um in two thousand nineteen uh Walked into my Thalamic community, and you know, just became a part of that. Yeah. Um, since walking into the Thalamic community, it's it's interesting because <clears throat> I was inter- introduced to a lot of different books when I walked into that community, and it was almost like a kid in a candy store. <laughs> You're I'm like, oh, what's sure. Goetia? Oh, yeah. what's Enochian? Yeah. Oh, what are sigils? You know, type yeah. of a thing, and so I was able to experiment. And not everything stuck. You know, I didn't continue to do everything. I didn't, you know, chase something to the end. You know, if, if it didn't feel right, if it was, you know, kind of, uh, you know, scratchy, different I'm like, no. Nope. Different things work for different
1: people, <laughs> and that's definitely a thing. You'll find mm-hmm. techniques or uh, even just the whole schools of thought that you're not, right. they don't vibe for you.
0: That's okay. Right. So, but what has stuck yeah. um, is I'm a sigil artist, a sigil magician. And also, I uh, regularly do uh, two Tibetan Buddhist practices: um, Chod and Tonglen. Tonglen is a type of meditation, and Chod is also a type of meditation, but it is more of a healing type of a practice. Than, oh, that's cool. Yeah. So. That's awesome. So those are the things that I've. I, I've picked with, up many yeah. things, but yeah, I yeah. put a lot of things down and just kept those things. Like yeah. I said, I reach out. When I feel that connection, when I feel that "aha, yeah, this," then then well, I keep it.
1: And like you were talking about, how there's like different, um, there's different types of things that are in that bookshop. That is, you know, you, you suddenly find yourself in some kind of an occult community. You know, mm-hmm. like we might be in ours, but I'm sure other people are having very similar experiences. When you're talking about, I don't know, like Rosicrucianism and right. or, what is that called? It, was that the right word for it? I don't think it was, but. Um, uh, like, let's say, like, Golden Dawn work, like, that kind of stuff, or maybe, like, the Hoodoo community, mm-hmm. you know, doing, like... Or Santeria or Wicca or, like, any of these kind of communities when you start to, like, find yourself within a fold and a family that really vibes with you and you're like, oh, man, like, this has the components that I, that, that I, that I need that are developing me into a better self, you know? Right. Um, and you have that experience where these people have been in the community for so long that they've collected up the million different books that are all really interesting and the million different talking points. And it's kind of like overwhelming a little bit, but it's kind of like also exciting (laughs) because you're like, I have no idea what that is. Show me like, how do I do that? That sounds really cool. (laughs) Let me borrow this book. (laughs) Right. Right. But you, you find yourself like, you find yourself like uh, vibing a lot more with one thing than another thing. And that's not invalidating to your other friends or family members Uh, experience Mm -hmm. it's just that different people need to develop in different ways different Mm -hmm. people are already developed in one way and underdeveloped in another way and in order to be a, a whole healthy individual you find yourself and then there's something to be said about just taste, you know. Like, mm-hmm. like me and you probably would cook the same, you know. If we said like cook a chicken dinner, we might go or the fish. I guess or the there's fish, a perfect example, go, the right? salmon, We'll yeah. go back to the salmon. Yeah, <laughs> like, we might come up with a different thing because our palate's a little bit more. You know, one thing might be more palatable to me. Mm-hmm. Something that maybe I'm talented at or I just enjoy, you know. And it kind of reminds me kind of what you're talking about with your children, because the one thing that I do open up about the most is the thing that I get the most out of for me. Mm-hmm. So I, I, not to say that ceremonial ritual magic on a daily practice is not intensely powerful thing, but for me one of the big things that's been shaping my desire to self-identify as a Thelemite and to uh, really continue on this road is the philosophy. Mm-hmm. I come from a mm-hmm. lot of like that philosophical standpoint or the examination of ethics. From like the concept of the law, you know, do what thou wilt should be the whole of the law. Love is the law. Love under will. Right. What does that fucking mean? Why right. do so many people put so much importance on that? Yeah. It's one fucking well. It's two sentences. Like how much could you really put into that? You know, like spoilers. Lots. Lots. You know, but um, it, there's like in my household, we do talk about will with the kids. You know, like we still have to be the parent. I still have to be able to say, like, hey, dude, you fucked up. You mm-hmm. you need to do a timeout. I know you don't want to, but, like, right. you need to do this timeout, right? But, like, we do talk about will, and we talk about, like, these concepts of, like, you know, how does consent play into things and how mm-hmm. does, you know, choosing to, to act from a from a state of love and, you know, like, what is agape and those types of things. You know, like, we talk about right. those kind of things on a, on a pretty regular basis. And so I guess I, I hadn't really considered it, but, like, the thing that I'm getting the most success out of, mm-hmm. I do share with them. Yeah. Because yeah. it's changing me inside. You know, like my mind is different because I I recognize the ethical and philosophical value mm-hmm. of a system that values this thing.
0: Right. And it's going to you know? give them the freedom they need to right. choose, to choose for their life. Yeah. Right. yeah. And,
1: and it, one thing that is really fun <laughs> is to see, uh, kids of magical households uh, <laughs> interact with kids of regular households.
0: Oh I've got a couple stories <laughs> okay. about that if you want. I do want to hear them. okay it, so, so. Did, I don't I can't remember which story I told you earlier about the kids but um, um, I'll, I'll tell you too that we, okay. we went to a store we went to a craft store and the first one is he was only two. My youngest was two and uh, we went to the craft store. And this one particular craft store had all these different kinds of candles, you know, cultist in candles. I mean, it's synonymous, right? I mean, I've got a whole <laughs> shelf. <laughs> Only a shelf. I know. No. I know.
1: I'm going to get kicked out now. No one wants to hang out well, with me. Uh, you better edit that out. <laughs> no, I'm teasing. I'm teasing.
0: But, um, you know, he's standing right beside me. I'm, I'm gathering candles. It was like five seconds. I look down; he's not there. I'm like, "Oh, crap!" You know. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, I hear "ah," and I'm doing like,
1: "LBRP in a he's store. doing the
0: Kabbalistic cross <laughs> with a 12-inch red taper <clears throat> candle. He has it up to oh his forehead, God, and he brings it down and smacks the front of his diaper. Ah, you know, he's oh. just sitting there doing it, and and everybody's looking at me, and I'm like there's nothing to see here y'all just mm-hmm. go ahead you know? yeah. <laughs> but um, and then the second one is um, my older my older child same craft store I'm really surprised he let us back in yeah. <laughs> no. but um, it was around Easter and they had different you know displays up and, and uh, I'm looking at something he's right there in my eyesight and I'm like what does he have and all of a sudden I hear mama Why are these swords so weird? Mm -hmm. I look over and he has an inverted cross and he's just waving. Why is your sword so weird? (laughs) And he's waving around his head and I'm like, put that down. He goes these aren't even sharp do they have a thalme's here oh, and I'm, <laughs> I'm just like again nothing to see folks nothing to see just go get your sequins and your special markers yeah. so you know yeah. but no there's that there's been other things along the way that um you know you can tell that our household's a little different you know right um But I think with my children, and and I would just like to add this too, especially with being a parent and you have to help guide this little one Mm -hmm. who can't quite make some of the decisions by themselves or, you know, they're not able to, you know, they're... My kids would
1: play in traffic if I let them, so yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and
0: and I think one of the things that I've learned early on is not to discipline according to personality conflict. Like um, we were at the zoo, and my youngest one um, <laughs> stood up. He had his little chicken tender, and he started waving it around. And singing this chicken wing song, okay, yeah, really loud. And I, to me, I'm just like, shh, you know. And, <laughs> and I'm like, no, there is nothing wrong with this child singing, you know, with his chicken tender. He's right. happy. He's making right. up a song. Do not tell him to be quiet. You know, that's that's basically what I, the thing I came to because, you know, as adults, what we're trying to do is just unload all these. Things, these yeah. labels, these rules, these things that were you know given to us as a well, child. Well, you, f-
1: you figure out the script of society, yeah, and then you feel this weird pressure <laughs> to abide by the script. Yeah. And like the reality is, like, there's very important times to abide by the script. You've been given some fucking lines, right. there's some <laughs> rules. You know, you're blocking is inter from stage left. It's, there's sometimes yeah. that's an important thing. You know, it gives yeah. it gives life structure <clears throat> and it keeps our society together. Right. But then, like, if you learn too much of the script. Right, then you find yourself like, hey, stop having fu- fun. No, it's okay to have no, fun. No, it's okay. Why, why, why is that a problem? You know, and yeah. you find yourself coming around on that. One of the things that my kids uh, have had experiences with being of a magical household and then talking to other kids is that uh, my, my youngest came home one day. This one is kind of sad. My youngest mm-hmm. came home one day, and some other kid on the playground told him that, like, Jesus told him he's going to hell. Oh, that like my dad, my, my kids coming up to us, like my kids coming up to us, like, who the hell is Jesus? And why does Jimmy say that Jesus created the universe? And now we're going to hell because we're different, you know? And the funny thing is, is like, these kids don't really like do anything. They're just like, they just don't go to church. Like that's, you know, Like, like, it's one thing if the kid was, I, and not to say that this would justify it, but like, it's one thing to to say if they were swinging around the red candle and doing like, mm-hmm. ah, yeah. like, like okay, like, uh, you know, I see why, you know, Jimmy's a little upset. He's never seen anything like that before, you know, but like our kids aren't, aren't doing any of those kind of things. They're just running around the playground, you know? Um, and then the other, the other one that happened was uh, the oldest one at one point, he was, he was on the playground trying to talk to this kid. He's just, you know, trying to communicate with him. And the other kid wanted to like, I can't remember, he wanted to like do something that was mean in some way to some other kid to like force him to do something mm-hmm. that he didn't want to mm-hmm. do. And my kid goes, well, we can't do that. It would violate his will. Because <laughs> oh. <laughs> we talk about will, you know, right, like right, our household. Right, right, right. we, we talk about those kind of things. And the other kid was like, what? We would do what? <laughs> And, then, and my son's face turned to this, like, "Are you fucking dumb?" Look, like he had this look in his eyes, like, "You don't know what will is." Like, you, how have you missed this by now? We're nine, you know. Like, yeah, it was the funniest thing. And yeah. the reality is, like, most kids probably don't grow up in a situation where your your parents are like, "Hey, here's the ethics of will and why it matters," you know. Right, like, right. but yeah, man, it's 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 got to be an interesting experience for them. I hope that they come out. Part of the problems is I don't know a lot of people who have like second generational uh, like magic interested people
0: yeah I
1: don't know a lot of those yeah a lot of a lot of times it's a, it's a single individual that chooses to step away from something and then they mm-hmm. you know and then their kids are well adjusted and healthy individuals right. by all means right. but then they go off and do their own thing with their lives right know? and that's really but, common. and
0: that's what we want I mean we Absolutely. want them to yeah. do what they need to do with their lives and not Right. Be that thumb on them that, you know, says, no, you have to fit in this mold just like me. Right. You know? Yeah,
1: because yeah, then it would just turn the whole cycle on itself. Yeah. 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 It wouldn't be good. <laughs> no. It would It would kind of self-defeat the purpose, wouldn't it? Yeah. Okay. Well, are there any other topics that you, off the top of your head, you want to do?
0: Not I don't know okay. of any off topic.
1: So, um just to make sure that everybody knows and that you're aware of it as well. Oh, sure. Um, We have an email address. It's guest at whitewoodpodcast.com. And basically the way that it works is that email box goes to me. That way we're not giving out any of your personal information. But if somebody would listen to the episode, they -hmm. wanted to speak to you because they were like, oh, hey, that was a really cool thing. I want to hear more about that. Or if they wanted to, you know, uh, just pass along a, hey, I really loved the episode and this was awesome. They can always reach out through that. I'll pass it along. Just make sure that if you send something to that email address, you let me know which episode that uh, you were listening to because it's all one guest at whitewoodpodcast.com email. There's no like specific individuals. It's a single account. And then if anybody wants to reach out to me, uh, request specific individuals to come on the show, topics that we could dive into, different like symbol sets, those kind of things. Uh, you can reach me at Nate at WhitewoodPodcast dot com, and uh, yeah. So I hope everybody had a really good time with the episode. I know I had a really good time, Great. you know, doing it. it it's crazy because when you first hear it, you're like, you're like a whole hour. However, will we manage to pull that off? Yeah. But then like, I mean, that was that was an hour and ten minutes. Oh wow! And like wow. it flies, doesn't it? It, it does it fly. fly. Thank you. I, I'm really happy that, you, that we got to do this together. Well, thank That's you. Awesome. Thanks for listening to the Whitewood Podcast. This show is made possible by our Patreon members. You can find us on Twitter at Whitewood Show and on Facebook at Whitewood Podcast. For links to all our social media and information about our Patreon, visit us at whitewoodpodcast.com.